It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we talk about episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here, coming back again by specific request. Uh, she's on the Mission Log Prodigy Podcast. On YouTube, you can find the fantastic Red Shirt Diaries. It's Ashley V. Robinson. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me back. When we first talked, I said, I will be coming back for the Howling Man. I broke no arguments, and I'm so psyched to be here. And I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be real curious what exactly gets your goat on this one. Not to say I didn't like it at all. It's just like it's it let, let's call it I mean, I guess it's weird to call a Twilight Zone episode the weird one, but this probably counts as the weird one. Oh, it's fairly atypical <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I maybe it's like a different strain of weird or something than than we usually see. Um and I'll I'll get into, you know, my viewpoint on why that is, which I think is a, a plus. So yeah. Um, before we get rolling too hard, let's do the preliminaries. I'll do a bit of trivia. I'll give you the prologue, and then we'll we'll let her rip. Sweet. Uh, air date for this one was originally November 4th, 1960. The script is by Charles Beaumont and adapted from his own story. While the music here is stock, it is stock from the legendary Bernard Herman, so you can't really you know, be too annoyed by that. Uh, we've sto- spoken a bit about director Douglas Hayes before, as he is in the middle of a nine-episode run of The Twilight Zone. David Ellington was played by H.M. Wynette. Wynette? Wynette? Not quite sure. He got starred in the late 50s playing fake Indians, but would eventually score a wide variety of films and TV shows, such as Run Silent, Run Deep and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. He even fought Elvis, and it happened at the World's Fair. He is still alive and kicking at 95 and even has some somewhat recent film credits. Like, I think there was a 2018 on there. Hell yeah. Good for him. And on the disc, there is an interview with him uh, if you have the Blu-ray. So you can see him, uh, you know, do his commentary on here. Uh, John Carradine, I I feel weird putting him as a second actor, but he was brother Jerome. Carradine was an absolute legend appearing in 351 films and TV shows over a period of more than 50 years, making him one of the most uh, prolific English-language actors ever. His best-known work is appearing in a number of John Ford films, such as Stagecoach, The Grapes of Wrath, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And yes, he was David Carradine's pops. <laughs> the, the titular character was played by Robin Hughes. He appeared in many small roles in film and guest spots on TV right around 1960. But he's probably best known for this role, as well as a few spots on Perry Mason. Brother Christophorus was played by Frederick Lebder. Ledber, I got the, the constants backwards. He mostly appeared in film with more notable roles in Moby Dick, Alexander the Great, and Slaughterhouse-Five. And uh, I wrote that, in, and I'm rolling it after uh, 
likely bow of COVID. That's why you're getting the uh, the scratchy voice today. I told you, but the now I'm telling the audience. sexy voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it'd be deeper for that. I'd, I'd get some very white. There we go. <laughs> uh, that, actually, that sounded like froggy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Ashley, I'm going to give you the prologue. If you could give that any kind of reading you feel like. The prostrate form of Mr. David Ellington, scholar, seeker of truth, and regrettably finder of truth. A man who will shortly arise from his exhaustion to confront a problem that has tormented mankind since the beginning of time. A man who knocked on a door seeking sanctuary and found instead the outer edges of the Twilight Zone. All right. <laughs> Before I dive in too deep on... um. Well, before I get to asking you what, what your picadillo is on this one, what what I got watching this one was a um, it felt like kind of like a hammer film in miniature, you know, like Peter Cushing would have been Ellington and uh, Christopher Lee probably would have been, you know, Brother Jerome and who knows. Oh, Christopher Lee, good pull for that. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, he's definitely done some creepy cult leaders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like that's kind of his type, I guess. That's a good pull, like a hammer film, because even though this is only, I think, 26 minutes long for broadcast, there's so much packed in. And because you hit the ground running so fast, it does feel uh, more more, I think, akin to a film. This strikes me as an idea that might have been a film script that didn't go anywhere or maybe was rejected and then kind of got rehomed, uh, which happened. It still happens today. Um, but I know that's how Yellowstone got started. It was a rejected film script. Uh, but I know happened a lot, especially in this sort of um, golden age of Hollywood where the Twilight Zone kind of or the golden age of television kind of resides. But I I think that's what I love so much about this. And I love that it is so singular and I love that it is atypical and I love that it is Shakespearean because I'm I'm not a super religious person. So that doesn't that aspect of the storytelling doesn't particularly like appeal or not appeal to me. But I think that that might be where some people come down either really loving or really uh, maybe not loving it. But for me, that's neither here nor there. I love that it it exemplifies in story structure, right? There's certain conflicts, man versus nature, man versus man. This is, uh, I shouldn't say man anymore. It's just a human. This is human versus themselves. And that's what I love the most about it. Also because everyone in it is really strong. If the acting didn't live up to how good the script is, this could very easily, I think, be a bad episode <laughs> and i don't yeah. think it's a bad episode <laughs> yeah this was coming from um the matheson's uh short story which i think he'd written about 10 years before so mm -hmm. um i well i'm saying short story because i'm not quite sure it just said from the howling man and quotations i, I think once in quotations that means it's a short story but <laughs> kind of like a incident at owl creek owl creek bridge Blech. I sort of well for the twilight zone they just took that from france they just bought the production yeah used it. yeah, yeah. In, in this case it was one of their regular writers just like hey i've got the story so can i retool it for the twilight zone i guess so so kind of what you're saying just a slightly different uh trajectory yeah the same but different definitely <laughs> yeah what, what was my note oh yeah my note was is the devil not a man but probably not another gender either so I mean, the devil in the in the context of this is a man um, and a, a very handsome one at that, which I think is an intelligent choice as well. Um, it makes that reveal at the end, which is 
it's 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 a visual effect, a special effect for the time. It's so simple, but it's so effective and arresting. And I will say, if you enjoy The Howling Man with your intoxicative choice, it will truly blow your mind when you behold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The effect, like they couldn't even quite line it up correctly as he passes it's, each fold. But it's yeah, it's still great. I mean, perfect. But if it was, if it was aligned perfectly, we wouldn't love it as much. Um, or even the the going up and smoke at the end, which is very like a Wicked Witch of the West uh on the burning thatch roof exploding in the poof of fire like it's not quite perfect but that's what is so charming about it i think to being like a contemporary audience member i got this weird thought i was i was just watching it because um like i said yesterday i was kind of down and out so i just put it on again like 30 minutes ago and i and i was like this is like the superhero reveal in a way you know when when batman finally oh, shows yeah. up in costume or something like that <laughs> you know <laughs> like it's a Satan reveal in this case, but I, I definitely was like, oh, today this would be the big like first time seeing the hero and, or villain and, and costume or whatever. <laughs> and it's sort of um, I think I don't think calling it a hero reveals maybe totally uh, inaccurate either, because when you're experiencing it for the first time, if you're lucky enough to go and not knowing the twist, which is how I saw it for the first time, you are definitely in a position of is this man um a hero or is this or is this man a victim or is this man a villain like you're left with that until the very final moments and i think that the writing and the performance like carradine's performance as jerome does such an excellent job at being like wait who is the evil man with authority here <laughs> it could be any of them yeah exactly um i although one i guess cheat is that kind of like what i guess the devil has sort of a just Distorting aura around him, which the brothers have steeled themselves to, but other people cannot, you know, like they're they, kind of put out of their mind before they interact with him. They also do a really smart thing where they shoot um, cattywampus. So all of the times that we see Ellington interacting with the Howling Man, the camera is at an angle. So nothing is straight on. Nothing is in, um, quote unquote, like correct perspective until the Howling Man is freed from uh, his prison because by that point I guess he's emerged into the real world and then every time we see either of the brothers they're shot straight on so if you're into like the visual language they tell you right away it's just whether or not you can pick up on that yeah so a cinematographer would be like oh come on they're there phoning yeah. in here <laughs> i know i know like all of the all the technical people watching this were like i wasn't fooled for a single second you guys are silly <laughs> now there there is a bit of a trivia that i actually read after i wrote my trivia so i didn't put in there but i think it's better for discussion anyway mm -hmm. um, one of the sillier moments is when uh Carradine or brother jerome or whatever holds up his and says the staff the staff of truth the staff of truth right yes because in the script that yes that was a cross because that makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> but then it was like hey that is a little too much for i guess 1960 network television so they're like please don't make it a cross we're going to get letters <laughs> interesting though that they wouldn't have because i don't think for the time that that would have been I, I mean i'm sorry i wasn't watching television in the 60s but i don't feel like that would have been super super out of place i feel like if it was made now and it was someone with a cross I feel like it would have felt more out of place. But I think making it the shepherd staff actually, I like it a little bit more because it's, it's I guess, a, a slightly more of a deeper cut than just making it across to me. Like, well, did you know that Jesus was a, you know, the, the shepherd imagery is super important. Uh, and then it feels less weird 
when we get to the quote unquote like present day storyline and Ellington is speaking to his the maid or the, or the housekeeper i'm not quite sure what her official title is um and it's just the little hook on the latch if it was a cross i think it would have felt it would have been harder to accept that this carried on into our quote-unquote real world um also the anti-war propaganda throughout this is just aces we love it oh yeah you're just like oh now you sit there wondering oh geez since 1960 when 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 was the devil out and about so yeah <laughs> unfortunately i guess now is one of those times but uh who let yeah. the devil out last time yeah <laughs> where's ellington what's he been up to i have questions he's still alive <laughs> Which i mean if it in in this in the sense of this being a, a religious parable or fable it wouldn't be out of line for him to still be alive i mean <laughs> couple of the actors are still alive so maybe maybe he's out there maybe he's a badass grandpa uh and he's going out to save us all i would like i would like to live in that reality honestly <laughs> am i am i being too uh portlandia to suggest well maybe the maybe the 90s is the last time someone had the devil under lock and key <laughs> Um, I don't think, I think, I think that's actually probably fairly accurate. <laughs> Let's, we're not going to talk about the, in this economy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Like in the back of my head watching this, I did like in that last scene, like that video was kind of playing in the back of my head with the, the dream of the nineties. <laughs> yes. I'm just like, who, who had, who had the devil under lock and key during that time is my question. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the spice girls. I'm going to say that they are the reason that we were so happy in the nineties. <laughs> okay. I, I will admit um, I did. I think I was my uh, freshman year in university and my entire dorm hall decided to go see spice world on premiere night. Bunch of dudes. It, it's an iconic film, first yeah. of all. Alan Cumming is in it. Second of all, I think this is an excellent choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> not not that the Howling Man uh, is that indicative of uh, Spice World, but it it is weirder than you would <laughs> think. As as a good Twilight Zone episode also is. So certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. It's a marker of a great Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> <laughs> And the Twilight Zone in general, as far as TV goes, seems to be sort of saying, okay, folks, 50s dreams over. And it wasn't real to start with. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of wondered if this was also like kind of like really making that clear at the end by having the housemaid let out the little miniature um, Staff of Truth. I, I definitely was thinking of like tiny starships when, when he's got the miniature Staff of Truth keeping the devil in at the end. <laughs> I'm very pro miniature, so uh, I love that you bring that up. And anytime there's a miniature, whether it's supposed to be miniature or not, it always like really, really tickles me. I don't know why. I just think they're so I think it's a lost art, like bring back miniatures. Um, Bollywood and Tollywood movies are like really great about doing that right now. No one's seen RRR on Netflix, recommended highly. Um, but I, I also think that sort of carrying on the theme of like, uh, the idea of like the 50s, uh, the nostalgia for the 50s, even in the 60s and sort of that beginning of the critical examination of that, right? Like, oh, it wasn't really great for anyone unless you were like a white working class man uh, is also echoed in the literal monologue where um, Ellington is saying like, and then the Second World War happened. And then I think he named checks. Is it the Vietnam War or the Korean, Korean War? Korean War. Sorry, I'm not American. My American history is very poor. I think, uh, Mash, I think Mash, has, Mash has mixed it all up in our minds because it's clearly that, protesting the Vietnam War, <laughs> but it's the Korean War. That's right. I was like, I was literally like, wait, when was Mash? Um, <laughs> like it, they say that literally. And then by having a female domestic worker 
be the next one to fall under the spell, I think is definitely not an accident. I think that's a great observation. Yeah, yeah. And he is too trusting. I mean, he he was like, you know, hoodwinked the same way. So why mm-hmm. is he assuming his 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 house worker is gonna be able to resist the pull? I mean, he knows about like the mental part of it too, because he's experienced it. So just... He's also like, I have to do some errands because I have to leave. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. And it's like, wait 15 minutes for the nice lady to leave. And everything would probably have been fine. And the, 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 um, the person shipping container stores is closing in 15 minutes. So he has to go now. I was oh, like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to send, I'm going to send him back to brother Jerome. I'm like, how? I was fully imagining like Indiana Jones, the huge wooden crate, right? With like, uh, I don't know, religious artifact or something stamped on the side of it. That's that's what I was imagining. Because, yeah, you're like, how do you ship a human person even in the 60s when it was not the same standards as it is in like, you know, obviously shipping very different now. But yeah, Um, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. The container store, she was closing, so he had to hurry off. (laughs) Like the cell in the Hermitage is very creepy, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's nothing cooler than having a door to hell in your townhouse apartment. <laughs> oh, truly. Yes. Just don't very... don't open the door to hell, please. Leave the door to hell closed. But it's there. I have a door to hell. <laughs> and then, like, maybe that also echoes the idea of, like, well, is, is the sort of we're moving into the suburbs americana domesticity like is that hell is that what we're being told in these final moments is that closer to hell than living in a bombed out german castle because the hermitage is like as you say yeah the cell itself is creepy but like it definitely gives um there's a light over at the Frankenstein place vibes <laughs> when we're when we're meeting it for the first time and and every all the monks in it are fairly brusque but they do seem like they have their stuff on lock they seem like they're much more in control than anywhere else that we go over the course of the episode yeah right at near the beginning of my notes I have man if you had Janet with them we would be getting directly into Rocky Horror yes <laughs> <laughs> yes yes yeah can you imagine riffraff out the door being like mm, please don't talk to the stranger thank you they would have eaten the devil at the end if that was the case <laughs> that would have been interesting um, I am <laughs> whole different <one> commentary <laughs> the, the, the brothers branding though like maybe giant beards and long hair and robes I don't know. Maybe they should do like a little more like finessing of their image. A little more contemporizing with the looks. I mean, if they um, had just hell, if they had just gone for a general kind of like count look, you know, it would. I mean, just a little more modern, you know, because it is like, is this like when he's thinking, gee, is this a weird cult? They definitely look like a weird cult. They definitely do. I will say the hard front wigs, which all wigs at the time would have been hard front, look very good the wigs and what i'm assuming are largely fake beards uh look pretty good in this episode better than um in a lot of other shows for the time and better than in, honestly like a lot of twilight zone episodes i was genuinely impressed with that but also i think inter- interesting the idea that like well should they look more contemporary like would would ellington have trusted them if they looked more recognizably peers instead of, yeah, questionable cult leaders, even if they presented themselves as German 
aristocracy, like we were joking about Christopher Lee earlier, right? But kind of like uh, his Bond villain, if they looked more like they were ready to fight James Bond, would things have worked out okay? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely... You know, this was my first view of this particular episode. So my mm-hmm. notes kind of are like on the Ellington line with uh, what do we have? Uh, madness is the harmless thing of a religious zealot. You know, all those maniacs, there are 10,000 of them. Um, so I was yeah. like, yeah, is he in a den of madmen? You know, which kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I did find it clear, like we don't trust the guy in the cell also. But my take was, is everyone here? insane right mm-hmm. whereas <laughs> and then the dress did have part of uh, partly to do with that the other thing is he passes out on the floor of the dungeon they just leave him there what <laughs> yeah i mean maybe the monks aren't trained in first aid um <laughs> but usually when someone like passes out you should put them in a softer place make sure they don't swallow their tongues at least take them out of the room that the devil's in you know that could be a yeah a yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of their fault that he made buddies with the devil. <laughs> it's not not their fault, certainly. Like they uh, maybe unintentionally opened him up to that temptation, but yeah, not not their fault. What I what do you- like about the devil, though, is that if you look at the way he appears when he is in his full and final form, this particular design, I think, goes on to influence a lot of other things in popular culture even the something like the robot devil from futurama is definitely taking design notes from mm-hmm. sort of the uh the the additional as someone with a long proboscis uh with the additional nose piece that he gets and the cape and everything <laughs> yeah, i thought the nose piece was a bit of a weird choice but whatever <laughs> <laughs> well it feels a little um it, I don't want to dig too far into this because I don't think it's intentional, but it does like give notes of like, are we being anti-Semitic with this depiction? Perhaps. Well, All right. I'm say, not going to think about this too hard. Yeah. Be- being in Japan, um, you know, I can sometimes put the devil on the board in a class and nobody gets offended because it's not America. <laughs> but, yes. uh, I am basically, <laughs> yeah, I am basically drawing this one because I know that the kids will recognize it. I give him a pointy nose, but not quite this bulbous of one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's supposed to echo the horns, right? Where he's supposed to be pointy kind of at all, uh, at all potentialness. But it, this is definitely when I when I saw him, this was not my first time watching. But when I saw this episode for the first time, it reminded me of um, now I can't think of the name of the episode, the William Shatner episode where he's using the fortune telling machine. Uh, Nick of Time, which is next Thank week you. or next. I think it's in, that comes up in two weeks. So a great episode, but look at the design. There is some devil imagery there. It echoes this as well, which obviously coming from the same probably design team, design house makes a lot of sense. But uh, very, very common, I think, for this era. Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there a little bit. Uh, as I said, still a little spaced out today, but... <laughs> We're Let's here. See. We respect the brain fog. It's okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, I guess I'll. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I do like the uh, fact that everyone calls each other brother. Like, I'm pretty sure that wasn't Ellington's. Like, I'm pretty sure that's not the way he usually talked, but he, he did start walking that walk very quickly once he got in here. Look, he, under different circumstances, I think definitely would have joined this. Uh, maybe we'll be respectful and not call him a cult. This order. Um, he seems to, aside from the whole curiosity killing the cat of it all, um, kind of be willing to go with the trapping. So I think he could have been convinced with the brother, brother, brother. He would have been a brother, I think. 
No, I didn't want to grow the beard out, but uh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that is why I was mentioning the weird aura around him. It's like, do you train yourself to deal with that? Because it's like, how much at fault is he? It seems that the end brother Jerome is like, wow, you're this isn't going to make you feel good for the rest of your life. But he didn't really seem to blame him. Yeah, he's not super punished. Um, and maybe that is continuing in that like Judeo-Christian relationship with or maybe Abrahamic relationship with the idea of Satan is that like, well, no matter what happened, he was always going to let him out. Maybe this is inevitable. Maybe it was always going to be somebody, whether or not it was Ellington, because Brother Jerome has a line where he says something like, um, kind of like, this is what Satan does. Um, and he doesn't get admonished. He also doesn't get sent out on the fetch quest that we see him at the end. So I think it would be interesting to know if that was self-imposed or if then the brothers were like, all right, homie, now you have to clean up this mess because you made it. Well, he does make it in his uh, kind of voiceover that at that moment, I decided I would be tracking down. Oh, that's true. The devil. You, I mean, you know what? You got me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but actually, that's a good point, because otherwise, yeah, you would be thinking, did he get like kind of, you know shoehorned into that job afterwards but no mm -hmm. yeah I, I think that's where the script was like we need to make it clear that um <laughs> that's the case um a couple of the the devil's lies or mis uh misrepresentations i guess uh one is they're gonna kill me if you go you know if you get the authorities to kill mm -hmm. me i'm like can they i think they can't right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you unload like a machine gun into him, does that what what happens? <laughs> yeah, I have questions about his uh, mortality. Like, can he be decapitated? Is this like a zombie elf kind of thing? I, th I think maybe we think a touch vampire simply because it's clearly like, you know, somewhere in the Czech Hungarian region region region. So. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> vaguely Eastern European. So some Transylvania vibes, you know. So yeah, yeah, you would start thinking you treat him like a vampire. But the impression I get is he cannot actually be destroyed. So he would have been, again, you, you know, calling out the devil on lying is probably whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, the I, other one I really liked is um, when he's like, can't you get just lift this out yourself? He's like, there's no time to talk is his like response. I also both times I've seen this have spent a lot of time looking at the sort of barred window to his cell to be like, could this um, at least the outward body of a fully grown man put his arms like could, is there an angle where he could lift it off himself? Quick. There's no time to talk. You I mean, know, I, she was thinking <laughs> about it too hard. <laughs> I mean, that, but, that's what happens in the show, right? He, he yes. Makes a point and, and it's like, oh, but I was just like, dude, that wasn't a good answer. Maybe you should ask it one more time. <laughs> maybe you should. Yeah, maybe you should question more or maybe the devil should just like lie better. Like the lie that he kind of gets Ellington wrapped up in is sort of how he was in caught and snared into this position in the first place is that he was kissing someone and the, i remember the first time being like oh my gosh is this like a incredibly veiled queer metaphor like is is this you know in the five seconds where you think maybe he's not satan i was like oh my gosh was he caught like kissing a man and is that why this is here and we're like like yeah, like mash has an episode about a uh just because we've already evoked it about a, a gay character who i believe is played by ron howard and uh 
uh, Trapper and Hawkeye kind of like stand up for him and like make sure that he's protected and treated well. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this where we're going? But they kind of just leave it accusing Brother Jerome of being like this lech who like can't get his because he's a priest. And so he doesn't want to let anybody else get theirs either. And I thought it was a particularly like dirty implication for a Twilight Zone episode. We don't usually stray that way in these types of stories, but we committed for this episode. Nobody's allowed to kiss. Too gross. Yeah, actually, I, again, I don't know what the original story says, so that mm-hmm. might have that element. But I could see where in 1960s television, just be like, no. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, you know what? Uh, that's one step too far for us. I, 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 would, early, would early 50s pop sci-fi allow for that? But that's something I don't know. I guess I don't. Yeah. I mean, are we talking like fully like B movie pulp, like working outside of all codes? There's like Ed Wood's Glenn or Glinda, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which again, (laughs) like under no auspice, under no rating system. But that's way outside the system. Yeah. 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 But like possibly, possibly. Um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and start throwing out my questions. For, Let's do for it. each episode, the first one being exactly who went into the Twilight Zone in this episode. That's interesting because this is where it becomes um, sort of an atypical Twilight Zone episode, because I think you can argue literally any of the characters, but you can also argue none of the characters. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to say at its face value, it's it's Ellington. Yeah, I do agree with that. But I am thinking, wow, at this point, Brother Jerome has had quite a transformation um, at this Mm -hmm. point. Like the implication is maybe like 10 years ago or whatever, he was like more like Ellington because he said for 40 years, I had a normal job that allowed me to like travel the world, blah, blah, blah. So um, we're just seeing him in a different stage. Or maybe it's like he's already been through the Twilight Zone and has now sort of taken charge of his life again in a weird way. Interesting. You can also definitely make the argument that the housekeeper, at least by the end of the episode, has entered or is, I think, as the opening uh, copy says, like, uh, is at the edge of the Twilight Zone. Right, right. So I, maybe in the case of um, Brother Jerome and Ellington, we could say he's out of the Twilight Zone by the 50s. He still has a weird job he does, but he's kind of like he knows the ropes now, right? That's true. And he he's out operating in what appears to be the quote unquote real world, the contemporary world. So it's like you have your transformative experience and you have to take that with you. But you do go back to the real world at some point just with this twilighty zone baggage with you. <laughs> yeah, like you can see through time now. <laughs> right, exactly. You're, you're Dr. Strange or something. <laughs> I would love yeah. that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let, let, let's keep the focus on Ellington, I suppose, because mm-hmm. we're seeing the housekeeper just at the, t- the yeah. start of her trip. We're seeing Brother Jerome at the end of his trip. So in the case of Ellington, did he deserve his trip through the Twilight Zone? Interesting. Um, I think deserve is always I don't know if I said this last time, please uh, forgive me, listeners. But deserve is such an interesting word, right? The way we use it in English language, like does someone deserve to die? <laughs> um, and this is sort of the same implication because this is the death of of innocence or ignorance, if you want to look at it that way. Um, I would say, given the fact that he makes the wrong choice, he did deserve the trip because he was presented with 
a lesson and he didn't learn it. It seems he did learn it afterwards, though, which makes me kind of think like maybe this is his calling. Mm, like, does he deserve like his that. calling? Because we're we're getting the hero's journey. We're just we're missing the 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 part in the middle. <laughs> yes, and we're we're missing the payoff, right? We're missing uh, my friends. You bow to no one at the end of Return of the King, right? Because the hero's journey, you enter a you come from your normal world into a strange world where the rules are all different. You don't understand it. And the mm -hmm. hero almost invariably makes a mistake. And that's what this episode is. We're seeing the hero make a mistake because after this, he goes on his tracking mission and eventually is successful. Yeah. We kind we kind of end with him still a bit caught up in that dark night of the soul. Yeah, right, because he's, again, he's got a weird aura in his apartment, I suppose, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he's not, he doesn't seem to be happy, right? Like, he's not really, I don't know if he's unhappy, but he doesn't, certainly seem, doesn't seem thrilled by his current state of affairs. Oh, the one thing we didn't really talk about was the howling itself, which is kind of weird. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's a dog. I don't <laughs> think a human person made that sound. Um but I like that it's it, it at least uh, strikes as non-humanoid. Like the first time I heard it, I I mean, it's called the Howling Man, right? But I didn't necessarily think that it was a human being from Jump. And I think that that's designed to kind of let you know that uh, maybe he's not a human person. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they got it worked out 20 years later when the movie's just the Howling. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Of course, that clearly was not men. And well, I guess they were werewolves, so they're kind of in that territory. They're part men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I just I was telling one of my friends I was uh doing this episode this weekend. And he was like, "What is that? is Allen Ginsberg in that?" I was like, "No." <laughs> he wrote. The oh, because of Howell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there would, okay, then if Allen Ginsberg wasn't it, then there would definitely be a lot more uh, gay themography, not even hidden. <laughs> throughout the episode uh, honestly i'd like the alternate universe i'd like to see what that looked like <laughs> well, apparently he'd give poetry readings and forget to wear his pants sometimes so <laughs> yeah that seems that seems correct to me <laughs> uh, hey you know what, what goes down in those east village uh coffee houses is what goes down those east village coffee houses i guess honestly i guess it's just good branding <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's place this one on the tripometer. Zero being not trippy at all, five being extremely trippy. And I think I think it's fairly untrippy, actually. Um, which is maybe what I like about it. Uh on a scale of one to five, I give it like a two and a half. Okay. What what what's the trippiest element for you? Oh, the transformation. Uh the transformation sequence, definitely. Um, I mean, I would be frightened to go into a giant house populated only by men in the middle of the night. Like that to me is fairly frightening um and trippy, but like he's another man, so it's probably okay. But yeah, I think when we confirm that magic and sorcery exists in the world, I think that's the trippiest element. But I think the next episode is I believe Eye of the Beholder, which like is ranks far higher on the trippy meter than mm -hmm. uh, the howling man. <laughs> I will go a little higher for you in one part because I consider Hammer films very trippy. So the fact Fair. that I equated this one, okay, um, I would not want this episode in color. I, I do. The, uh, I, when I, I agree. Was talking about, when I was talking about people are like all over, I was like, this mm -hmm. is the one episode I've seen where I'd like actually think I'd like to see it in color. 
This one I don't, but it does make me think about weird hammer technicolor at least. So uh, I, I give it three points on that. And then, yes, superhero Satan reveal gives it one more point. So I'm going to go four for myself. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, the, part of the question is it's it's interesting finding exactly what people consider trippy. So yeah, well, I'm currently watching the Open Your Mind documentary about psychedelics, so that was definitely where where my brain went. Oh yeah, for sure. They they got the sequences of you know. I always love those film strips they showed you in high school. It's like this is what LSD does. It's it's like I, th I think I want to try that. It's like Walk Hard, where uh, if you've seen that movie, it's got Don Cheadle telling uh. John C. Riley, like, you don't want any. He's got a joint in his hands. Anyone like, this marijuana? Yeah. <laughs> It'll make you confident and popular with women, and you'll feel relaxed. You don't want any of this. <laughs> Shout out to the Dare program for telling us that you could smell colors because that that lives in my mind rent free. <laughs> Synthanasia is that? No, that's, that's synesthesia. Yeah, that's where colors, sounding colors, are combined. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess it's any two senses, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think it's if the wires are crossed, which honestly seems kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, any final thoughts you want to throw out on this episode? I It's funny because we've I've had an awesome time talking about this episode, but I still I've seen it a few times and I still can't really tell you what I love about it. But I as I was well, I watched it today right before we got on and I was like, man, this is a good time. I would watch this episode <laughs> any day at the drop of a hat i love showing it to people especially when they're only familiar with a lot of the more um like pop culture uh famous like uh, tear at thirty thousand feet um episodes of the twilight zone and i would encourage if people haven't seen it to really give it a shot because i think it's i think it's rarely i think it's a I think it's very beautiful in a very strange and unequatable way. And I'm just so glad that you let me come and talk to you about it. <laughs> I think the, I think the actors really do push this one to being mm -hmm. quite good. Um, John Carradine, of course is great. Cause he, Oh yeah. Is. But then um, HM uh, Wynant is also, I mean, he really carries this episode because like you said, this could easily cross the line into stupid. <laughs> yes. And he doesn't seem too silly, even though there are things that he does that are like objectively silly, but he feels like a real and grounded person. And that's, you're right. That's probably a good reason why this episode, I think still sings, at least for me. Watching it, I had a few thoughts, um, which I'm like, no, that would not improve this episode. I just like, it was thought experimenting <laughs> that. What if Charlton Heston was playing Ellington? <laughs> oh, I mean, he, that's interesting. He would have been good if this was a, if this was reality where this was a movie. Um, like I postulated earlier, he would have been a strong choice. Um, but sort of in the in the annals of pop culture, as we sort of know more about his personal politics, that might have colored that's uh, the true. experience a little bit. I was just thinking like his uh, kind of bull in a china shop um, approach and say Planet of the Apes being applied here. Would be yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Again, Wynette has this really nice blend of aggression and thoughtfulness. So I guess that's where I thought it'd be fun to see Heston just like plowing through. Oh, I'm gonna let this guy out. That sort of thing. You know, screaming at at the monks. Some. I get the brothers. Excuse me, they're not quite monks, are they? <laughs> I mean, they're not not monks, right? But yes, the brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. This is the second week of September, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> Happy fall. 
My Yo, favorite right. season. Man, uh, we're recording this in late July, of course, and I'm like, oh wow. We we in Japan it's been it's just been like intensely hot for six weeks. Usually at yes. this point it's been intensely hot for like two or three weeks, so it's kind of dragging us. So yeah, I'm looking forward to some September. But um any anything you're up to? I guess, I guess convention season is in the middle of it, winding down, something like that by then. Yes. So if we're in September, if you are coming to uh, New York City Comic Con at the beginning of October. I'm going to be there. Please come out and see me. Um, I love New York and I'm super psyched to be there. If you are not coming to New York Comic Con, um, please buy my new comic, Roar in the Eagle. You can find it at auroraintheeagle.com. There's a cute little button that says pre-order it. And if you pay for it, then I pack it with my bare hands and send it to you so you can use my DNA and clone me in your very own episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, and then also, if it's September, then Lower Decks just came back and uh, I'm back on Mission Log chatting Lower Decks each and every week. So come out and check us out in the Star Trek animated world all right i might be able to pop in once or twice during that even when time zones yeah usually i'm I'm going to work but uh, there's a few days i'm not working i think so um dare i ask about prodigy we don't know anything yet do we we don't i mean the last time i was talking about prodigy i was like it'll be may at the latest no problem i i truly hope from our mouth to the star trek god's ears that by the time it is September, uh, I have the problem of having to do both Prodigy and Lower Decks. That would be such a such a treat. So oh. speaking into the universe, it's Prodigy's back soon. Woo! <laughs> Magical powers. And as for this, it is Time Enough Podcast. We're on Twitter and Facebook uh, under Time Enough Pod. Uh, on Patreon, we're under the podcasting umbrella of Podcastio Podcastius. Where you can hear us talk about sci-fi films and Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. And there's some gamer pods for some of you. Uh, Luke loves Pokemon about Pokemon. Monster Mash about whatever the new Monster Hunter, not Rise, some, Summer something. All I can think of is the guy's <laughs> name, which is Summer Hayes, because he put it on his podcast thing. But yeah, if you're into Monster Hunter, listen to that. And there's the Game Game Show, where a bunch of um, insulting gamers game themselves about games. So... I think I, I think by this point I actually made an appearance on there. So, <laughs> yay! We yay. love to see it. Okay, so you know, enjoy your week. Don't open that door. The door to hell. <laughs>